First John, if you're, if you're new to Bethany or to Christianity or to the church in general, uh, First John is going to be found towards the back of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you have a smartphone and you're new, that's cool. Check it out there. You know how to find it on that. But First John, towards the back of your Bible, you'll hit the last book. Come forward just a few pages. We've been in the book of 1 John all summer. We wrap up this week and next, our last two weeks in the book. This is one of my favorite books in the Bible. We've been here because what we talked about in our culture today, so many people claim and call themselves Christian. So we've just been taking the time. What does it really mean to be a Christian, to call myself that? How can I know and can I know for absolute rock-solid certainty that when I die, I will spend eternity in heaven with God? John writes about that. That's one of the purposes of his book. We're going to see that next week that he's going to, he's going to say, this is why I've written this, so that you can know for sure that you are friends and you're close in your relationship with God. So he writes this book, and we've talked about it. The, the heart of the book really picks up steam in chapter 4 and chapter 5, and we really see, in essence, the book boiled down to love Jesus, love people. And doing so, this black and white book and its black and white nature, I think, verifies and validates the fact that, hey, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I love people. Now, last week we got into chapter 5. And I mentioned last week, I just want to do a quick recap because it builds, last week then builds into this week. I talked about the reality of life is really designed and we're, the Christian life is we're to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what ends up happening so often is... We saw in chapter 5, the first couple of verses, the love to love God is equated with obedience. So the question is asked, okay, if I love God, I am to obey God. So the question then is, am I obeying God? But as we talk about this obedience to God issue, one of the things that we find is it becomes a real burden. And I talked about my own struggle with this. And I think most of us relate to this is when I define by burden is my desires to do what I know is wrong in my heart. And I know the Bible says it against my desire to do that stuff versus my desire to love God. Are oftentimes confined that this desire is so much stronger than this desire. So what we do is we just gut it out and we do more and we serve more and we try and obey out of this just determination. But the desire and the love for God, the love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength often isn't there. So we do this and we and becomes a real burden. We talked about how loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of myself, all of my affections, all of my every part of my being is all in the game, is the center of the bullseye of the Christian life. That's what we shoot for. Now, I finished up last week. Most of you were here. Some of you were not. But I got this, this question that came up. And the fact that this question was asked, it was asked at least, <laughs> at least 10 times this week by people via email. Some of you talked to me after the service last week. Some of you grabbed me throughout the week. Uh, But this question came up, and the fact that this question came up says, I think we hit the target last week, because this is the question that a lot of times will pop up. How do I do this? How? In other words, the question that they really ask is, make this practical for me, because what it sounds like they said you're saying, Adam, is I get that we're to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but some days I don't know how to do it. Some days I don't feel like it. Some days my heart isn't in it. You talk about desire. I should desire God. My affections should be for God. But what if they're not? What if my affections aren't for God? Okay, you tell me, Adam, last week, and you say, and you read here in 1 John chapter 5, that if I obey God, it's not a burden. But when I obey God out of duty, it becomes a burden. Well, what do I do then when I don't desire it? Do I just not obey him? 
Do I just live as I want? How do we do this? How do we make it practical? How do we love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Now, to do this, I want to, to kind of jump into this. is my goal this morning is to help this be practical, and that's what the rest of chapter 5 does. But before that, I want to make sure the question is clear. And I think the, way, the best way to make, the, make sure the question that we're asking is really clear is to, is to talk about marriage. Marriage is a beautiful, wonderful gift given to us. In Ephesians chapter 5, the writer of Ephesians comes along and he talks about marriage, the Apostle Paul. And he says, here's what marriage is. Marriage is submission to one another, husbands and wives. Then he goes on and say, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Some of this is familiar to you. You get on through the chapter and it says, he quotes Genesis chapter 2 and he says, a man will leave his mother and father and be united with his wife. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, but I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about this mystery of Jesus and the church. So marriage in many ways is a picture What happens between a husband and a wife in their union is their connection as one is is a picture, is is a portrayal of what our relationship should be like between Jesus, between God, and you and me. So, a couple, pretend for a minute, hypothetically, a couple, you guys are all counselors. Okay, some of you say, no, 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 (laughs) you got the wrong person. I relate, I'm not a great counselor either. I can do it to a certain degree. I do enjoy it some days, but it's not my gift. It's not what God wired me to be doing day in and day out. But say you're a counselor and a couple comes into your office, calls you up and says, I need to come. We need to come talk. So they come on into your office and they come in to chat, right? Now, oftentimes it's not chatting. This is what you see. I'll give you a little peek into the counseling office. Now, this couple comes in. And the, the, what I did is these, these struggles are not, not struggles that Tanya and I have. So there are a few on here that might fit us, but I just kind of Googled this week, what are the top complaints between husband and wife? And I pulled some of them out. And so this couple comes in and they're going to start talking. I want you to think, how would you counsel this couple? Now the woman starts, you know why the woman starts the discussion? Because it was her idea to be there in the first place. Usually you can tell when you look out at the car, you see heel marks drug all the way across the parking lot to your office because she is dragging this guy, kicking and screaming the whole way. It's usually the woman's idea. So she starts out and she starts talking about this this frustrating thing called marriage. So she says, here's some of the things she may say. This is what you're hearing in your office. So how would you respond as they lay on the couch or they scream at each other? You know what? This guy, does he need his mom to pick up after him? Why can't he get his clothes to the dirty wash hamper. How about the dishwasher? Does he not know how to load dishes in the dishwasher? Why does he pile them in the sink? Okay, some of you can relate to some of these struggles. It goes on. How many times her voice may get escalated? Do I need to tell him to do something? I've said and asked him now at least 15 times, and is he, is he not even listening to me? I mean, does he even know what manners are? I mean, this guy, I mean, at the table, he burps. He does things in bed that I can't even talk about. I mean, we just, what is wrong with this guy? Where was he raised? In the mountains of West Virginia? Sorry, those of you who are from West Virginia. (laughs) You may hear things like, I feel like I'm living with another child. I feel like I have another kid to raise. She may look across at him and say, could you just be just a little more involved with the kids? Then this one here, and I, th- I think I, this one is a common one. I saw this pop up a lot in the Google search is, <laughs> do you ever think before you speak? I mean, just a little, 
Just, I mean, is there, is there even a bone in your body that spells even a few letters of sensitivity? So she spouts off, and then she may say, and these words come out, I hear these occasionally in counseling, and you may hear this. I don't love you, as she talks to this guy, anymore. I'm done. I don't love you. Now, the guy, he's had enough of it. Okay, he's been drug in, but now he's ready to fight. So he pulls out his whole thing. This is one I can relate to. Why can't you leave your hands off the thermostat? You know, at times I think... At times I wonder, very honestly, is I, we have one of these cool cars now. We, we got a car a few years ago that you can, the, Tanya can set her temperature and I can set mine. I'm waiting for the day when I see a storm cloud erupt between us. <laughs> we're driving the other day. Hers is set at like 80 or 85 degrees. Mine's down at 68. I mean, there's a frontal system coming through here. So <laughs> it creates, fr- this little everyday stuff can, can get frustrating, right? It builds up. So, he can't, so then he may go on. Um, um, <laughs> will we ever get there on time? I mean, why are we always late? And when I tell you you look nice, I mean you look nice. You don't need to ask me six, seven, eight times, with, etc. He goes on, and he makes money is often a frustration, so he may start talking about money. And he's like, you know what? Money doesn't grow in trees, and that handbag you have now, do you know how many days I had to work to earn that thing? Nag, 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 nag. That one popped up a lot. All you do is nag me. And why is it when I go into the bathroom, the fan is on, the water is running, are you still talking to me? You expect me to hear you? Maybe that's why, maybe that's why I don't listen. Maybe you ask me at poor times. And why don't you ever answer your phone? That's why we bought you the darn cell phone is so that you would answer it. Now, he then turns back at her and says to her, I don't love you anymore. So the love is gone, the desire is gone. Now, parallel this to our Christian existence. We get like this sometimes, right? In our Christian life, we get frustrated. The love is gone. We have no desire left for God. We don't really desire to obey him. We're, we're tired. We're worn out. The, the, the affections are not there. So what do you tell a couple? What do we tell us in our relationship with God when the love is gone, when the desire is not there? How do you get it back? How do you get it back? Now, some will say, some will give this answer to that couple. And this isn't bad advice, but it's missing a big piece. Some will say, love is not a feeling. Have you heard this? What is it? It's an action. It's a choice. It's a commitment. And no, very, very true. But here's my struggle with that. That is true, but that's not the whole truth. Yes, love is an action. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment, but it's also a whole lot more. You cannot rob love of the affection. There isn't a one of you in marriage in here that would be happy with your spouse loving you out of duty. You don't want that, right? You want your spouse to love you because they want to love you. God wants the same thing. So when I don't have that want to, that desire, that, okay, God says this is the center of the Christian life. This is the bullseye to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't have the desire. Just like marriage, when the desire isn't there, what do we do? How do we get it back? What a lot of us do is what we looked at, and this is what becomes a burden. We say, well, I'll just obey. I'll obey, and I'll serve, and I'll work my guts out. The reality is it doesn't get us where we need to be. It doesn't work. Because it's a supernatural thing. It's not something I do. This is huge. My relationship with God is not based on, not started by, not continued with things that I do. It's a supernatural work that he initiates. This is crucial. Look with me here at this chapter. 
First John chapter five. I want to read the verses we looked at last week so you can kind of get the context. It says this in verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. That's the summation of the whole book. If you love God, you ultimately have to have Jesus. When you love Jesus, you're born of God. The spirit enters you and you outflow, you overflow with love towards people. That verse sums up the entire book. Verse two, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God. Sorry, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. Verse three, this is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. We talked about that last week, great detail. Verse four, for everyone born of God does what? Overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our, what's the word? Faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes faith that Jesus is the son of God. Verse six. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Everything points to Jesus. Verse 10, anyone who believes in the son, here it is again. Anyone who believes in Jesus, the son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. Verse 11, and this verse is crucial. And this is the testimony. This is the testimony that if you believe, you have faith that you're going to have in your heart. God has given us eternal life and his life is what? In his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, he who has the who? The son, Jesus, has what? You have Jesus, you have life. He who does not have the son of God does not have what? Life, eternal life. Now, this is a supernatural thing. My love, my desire, my affection, the ability for me to love God, my heart, soul, mind, and strength, is a supernatural thing. I want to look back at a, at a few verses here in a minute, but I want to kind of set the stage. It's in Mark, Mark chapter 10. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus. This guy is the kind of guy that you would want your daughter to marry. He's ethical, he's moral, he's a leader, he has influence, and he has a whole lot of money. And he comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher. Now Jesus responds and says, now why do you call me good? This guy has an inclination that yes, Jesus is in some way God. This good statement. So Jesus capitalizes on this good. And, and, and they, he says, well, how do you read the law? And this young man says, well, you've, you've got to obey the law. And he says, but I've done that. I have obeyed the law. There isn't anything I violated. Now, Jesus, most of us would have at this point argued with the guy. Come on. We're not perfect. We're all sinners. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't try and say, well, you know what? Yeah, you haven't committed adultery technically, but you do lust in your heart. Or he doesn't do that. He says, you're right. You're a good guy. From childhood, you have really stuck to the commandments. You have really done what's good. But there's one thing. There's one very important thing that I want you to do. I want you to go and sell everything you possess. Sell it all. Give it to the poor. Follow me. Now, Mark 10 records this cool statement. The guy got very sad. The affections of his heart grieved. He's sad. Why is he sad? He's a lot of money. More than that, our affections are for the things that we serve. 
We love and we serve and we work. We go after things that our heart is for, things that we desire. He desired and he loved money. God knew this. Jesus knew this. So Jesus wasn't asking all of us to sell everything. Jesus was going at this guy's heart. What is it that you love? The top two commandments. You've obeyed all the commandments. But what are the first two? Have no other gods before me. Have no idols. So Jesus looks at him and says, without calling you out saying you don't, you have idols. He just says, go sell everything. Because what he got at the heart of is you love money more than me. Now, we pick up in the passage, Mark chapter 10, verse 23. Jesus looks around and said to his disciples, this guy walks away. He's sad. His affections are, 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 he's downcast. So Jesus looks around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples, look at this response. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he makes this statement that some of you have grown up in church know. It's easier for the camel to enter through the eye of a needle than it is for a person to get into the kingdom of God. Now, this really confounds the disciples. So the disciples were, what's it say? Even more amazed. So they went from, okay, how do we get into the kingdom of God to, my goodness, is this even possible? And they said to each other, who then can be saved? Do you see the question? How do I get into heaven? How is this possible with anyone? Look what Jesus says. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is, what is this? What's the this? Salvation. With man, this is what? It's impossible. You can't do it. He looks back at the disciples, but with God, all things are possible. Now, salvation. My relationship, my ability to love God more than I love money, more than I love my wife, more than I love my kids, more than I love this church, more than I love my house, more than I love anything else that my heart could be pulled to, that ability to love God is not a work that I do, it's a work that God does. It's by faith in Jesus. Now here's the thing. Most of us know, if you've grown up in a church, or even if you haven't, but you've lived around some Christians, most of you know that you start the Christian faith, you get into heaven, you initiate the whole thing by faith in Jesus, right? Here's where we go wrong. We start there, but then we don't continue there. This happens far too often. That jumped to, I think that jumped past. Oh, no, there we go. I'm sorry. I am to live the Christian life just like it began. My daily walk with God, my friendship with him, my relationship with him continues, goes on just as it started. Again, look at this verse. Look up here, chapter 5. What's it say in verse 4? Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only He who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So it starts by faith, faith in Jesus. I want to, this is a big point to me. It's not, I hear a lot of religious people say, I have faith. And what I want to say to them is, well, that's cool. But what is your faith in? I don't care if you have faith. Faith isn't going to get you to heaven. Faith needs to be rooted in something. Same as I can have faith that I can fly. It's not rooted in truth though. So it's not only the fact of having faith, it's faith in the person of Jesus. Very, very clear. Verse 4 and verse 5 says this. Now, this does not mean it's not hard work. 
This doesn't mean that I am not disciplined and I do things. There, and I, I don't want to go into a lot of this, but there's a lot of verses that tell us to work out our salvation. We're, we're to seek first the kingdom of God. It's work-oriented. But what, here's what I want to talk from here on out. What does this practically look like? What does it mean to start my walk with faith and continue it? I think we kind of begin to get some of the answer in Galatians. Uh, the book of Galatians, Paul writes to this group of guys, and he, the, this church, and he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I mean, if you got a letter like that, how would you feel? The first thing you read, you foolish people. I mean, what's wrong with you? Who's fooled you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Dead, buried, rose again. I would like to learn just one thing from you, he says. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? So how did you get into heaven? How did you get the spirit of God? How did you enter this, this thing called salvation? Did it happen by obeying or did it happen by believing? What's, what's the, it's a rhetorical question. It's kind of, he's begging for the answer. What is it? It's believing. So he says, you guys didn't get in by, belie- by obeying. So what's going on? Are you so foolish, he says, after beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing... Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Life, my continued walk with Jesus, with God, loving him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength is a supernatural work that happens. So you may have heard the phrase, I walk, I live by faith. Now, Tanya said to me years ago, I think when we were first starting to get to know each other and she learned that I'm a teacher-ish kind of person and I'm a theory kind of person and I'm a big picture kind of person and I get all hot and passionate. And so I would preach early on and I would get down and we'd be driving home and she'd say, but what does that really mean? So what I want to answer now is what it really means. I want to try my hardest to what does it, you've heard the statement, I walk by faith, I live by faith. What does it really mean? To, to talk about that, I want to change a word. This is Eugene Peterson's illustration. He's the guy who wrote the message. This is how he does this. He uses, instead of walking by faith, he uses this word called imagination. And he says, I think in our human English language, I think instead of saying walking by faith, you say, I walk by imagination. And here's what he means by that. Imagination or faith is the ability to see what is real, but often unseen. I get out of bed and I live trying to say to myself, I need to see what is real, but what I don't see. Now, here's how this works. Let me use the illustration of this tree. You see this beautiful tree up on a hill. And if I'd ask you to describe this tree and tell me what you see, you're going to tell me you see leaves, you see green, you see, you can kind of see the outline of the trunk. But you know what, what is true about this tree that we don't see is the most crucial part about this tree. How about its roots? Do you see its roots? We can't see them with the eyes, but they're there. And those roots are crucial because they're dug down in the soil. They're pulling nutrients into that tree. We can see the leaves, but do you see the photosynthesis process taking place? The energy coming in, the leaves transforming that light into energy to feed and to move life into this tree. You can't see it, but it's real. How about the fall colors? How many of you can see the fall colors when you look at that tree? It's real, isn't it? It's reality. We know that if this tree isn't cut down, it's going to produce beautiful color in this fall. How about bare branches with snow on it? How about acorns in the spring? How about buds and, I'm sorry, not buds in the spring and acorns as the summer goes on? How about the squirrel sitting on the trunk? 
It's real, isn't it? So walking by faith, living by faith, living with imagination is the ability to see what is real, but I often don't see. And that's how we walk in our Christian life. Now, this does two things for us. This really does kind of two things. Walking by faith gives us, and this is the things I want to go do. Walking by faith, daily by faith, faith in Jesus gives us a sense of two things. One, it gives us a sense of our identity. The identity means the unseen realities of who God says we are. Walking by faith means I got to bet every day and every step I take, I'm looking at who God says I am, not what Adam thinks he is. Not who Adam thinks he is, not what you think Adam is, but what God says and who, who Adam is according to God, identity. So when we walk by faith with this imagination, we can train our eyes to see the realities of what God says I am and who God's, what God says about me. The second thing I think it does is it trains us to see the unseen realities of his resources, his presence and his provision. When I walk by faith, not only do I understand my identity, I understand what he has given me to live this life. And I can train my eyes to see his presence. I don't see him, right? But is he real? Is he active? Is he living? Is he here with me? Absolutely, but I don't see him. So it's, it's, it's seeing who I am through his eyes, and it's seeing what he has given me to live this life and training myself daily as I walk to engage with this stuff. Now, I want to go deeper with both of these. First one is the identity piece. Identity is, uh, my identity is what I assign, basically what I assign myself will always affect the way I respond to life and to you. Here's how this works. When I, when I talk about identity, I want to make sure it's real clear what we're saying. When I'm talking about identity, we're talking about how you define yourself, how I define myself. So it's what talents, what talents do you have? What qualities, what experiences, what achievements, what goals, what beliefs? What things do you dream about? How do you define yourself? And the way that you define yourself is going to affect the way that you respond to life and the way that I respond to life and to each other. Now, let me give you a couple examples. If my identity is built in respect, okay, we come back to the marriage couple. The husband wants respect. I deserve respect. My identity is built in my authority and the respect. What happens when someone comes along and opposes me? What happens? I deserve respect. I, my identity is built around my authority and the deserving of respect. What happens now when someone comes and says, calls me out or challenges me or stands toe to toe with me? Do what happens? We take it personally. We internalize it. We beat ourselves up. We get angry. Another one might be, here's another common one. If my identity is in my success or achievement in my job, what happens when it doesn't go good? What happens when I get laid off? What happens if I get fired? What happens if I fail at a project at work that I really had confidence in? If my identity is rooted in achievement, success, and failure hits, I'm laid flat. So how I view myself and what I think I deserve and who I am is going to greatly impact the way I respond to life and to you. Walking by faith requires that I get my head around this piece called identity. Now, one of the things I found this quote as I was reading this week, much of our disappointment in life, it's a great quote. Much of my disappointment in life is the result of our attempts to get something from life that our relation, something from life or relationships that we already have in Jesus. Much of what I get upset at in life, 
where life doesn't work for me, it's because I'm looking for something in that area of life that I already have in Jesus. My identity needs to be firmly planted and rooted in Jesus. And what is it that we have in Jesus? What am I? I'm a child of God. I want you to really think about this. This is important to me. This, is a big, this has been a battle for me much of my life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You continue to read this. You can now call him Abba Father, Daddy. You are a child of God. What does it mean to be a child of God? It's the unseen reality, isn't it? Living by faith means I got a bed in the morning. I can't see this. I don't see it fleshed out. But I, the truth is, I am a child of God. If you continue this with it means that I'm forgiven. How many of us live like we're forgiven? It means that I'm loved. It means that I'm justified. Romans chapter 5, if you look at the first two verses there, Romans chapter 5 says that we are justified when I am placed in Jesus Christ. I am justified, but why is it that I walk through life looking to my wife, looking to you, looking to the elders, looking to other people to tell me I'm justified? Does that make sense? When I look to other people to say, Adam, you're okay, what I'm really doing is looking to you, looking to my wife, looking to others to do some, for you to do something for me that you cannot do because only Jesus can do. Walking by faith means I get out of bed and I say, I am a child of God. I am walking today because I am justified, because I am forgiven, because I am made righteous. God looks down at you. If you believe in Jesus, he looks down at you and he sees Jesus, not your sin. This is crucial. This is what it means for identity. I think you look back at 1 John chapter 4. This is clear all through there. God is love. He is for you. You are a child of his if you believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. If I'm, seeing, if I'm seeking to find my identity in you, do you know what happens? This is where life goes bad on me. And I, I struggle with this. What I will do is I'll watch you a little too closely. I'm going to watch you. Why am I watching you so closely? Because I want to know that I'm okay. I'm going to listen to you a little too intently, and I'm going to need you too fundamentally. And what's going to happen is I'm going to ride the roller coaster of life. When our relationship is good, I'm on a mountaintop. When it's down, I'm down. I'm in the pits. Because I'm watching you too closely, I will become acutely aware of your weaknesses and failures. I will become overly critical, frustrated, disappointed, hopeless, and angry. And what ultimately happens, I will be angry not because you're a sinner, but because you have failed to deliver the very thing I seek from you, and that's my identity. I cannot get my identity from any other person other than Jesus Christ. And when we try... It shipwrecks marriages. It shipwrecks relationships. It shipwrecks careers. I need to get comfortable in my own skin, and I need to understand what it means to walk by faith is seeing the unseen reality of getting out of bed every morning and saying, I am a child of God. I am justified by him, by faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ. If I sin and blow it today, it doesn't mean that I'm no longer standing before him as a child of God. It means I've got some things I need to work on, yes, but I am still a child of God. So I need to stop looking outward at other people to make me okay. I need to stop and say to walk by faith means I understand that my identity is firmly rooted in who Jesus is. Now the next one is God's resources. We talked about this one. This is the other thing identity does for us. 
what ends up happening is we view our salvation oftentimes from a legal position. We look at what God has done. It's almost like a lawyer who's gotten me out of jail. But you know what, you know what salvation, a relationship with God really is? It's a relationship. It's like a dad and a son. It's like a dad and his daughter, a mom and his daughter. It's like a husband and a wife. It's relational. It's beautiful. God is with us. God has not forsaken us. I am God's child. He is my daddy. I am the object of his affection. Romans chapter 8 paints that so clearly. I have access to his care. He blesses me with his resources. He offers cleansing and forgiveness when I sin. He promises to never leave or forsake. And he says, you know what, Adam? I'm going to finish the work that I started in you. How often, walking by faith, here's what it means, that I stop throughout my day and acknowledge his presence. I think about this. When's the last time in a conflict with a friend or my spouse did I just stop and say, God, you know what? I can't figure this out, but you're here with me. You're alive. You're active. You've promised to never leave me or forsake me. When's the last time? I mean, this happened this past week. My, my van dies on me this week. We're trying to nurse along an older van. We're trying to get it through till it, till it croaks. And I thought it croaked this week. It happened already this week was a tough week for me to begin with. And I struggle with this identity issue. So in the morning, I drive over to a meeting with someone. Driving back from that meeting, the van overheats, and there is smoke pouring out of the engine. So the mechanic tells me, it looks like your head gasket is done. Now, those of you who know cars, I'm still trying to get to know cars. I don't know if I ever will, but the head gasket means this car is done. (laughs) It's not worth replacing a head gasket. I walked away from that, and I wept. I cried right in a spot. Well, not right in a spot. I didn't want to look like a... I didn't want to lose man points. Chris was with me. (laughs) I'm still trying to redeem those points. I got back and I shut my office door and I cried. The first thing I did was I cried. The the stress was of everything else. There's some other things going on in my life where the stress just, I was like, I can't take this anymore. What does it mean to walk by faith at that point? Practically. But well, what I decided to do, and I, here I am, pre, I'm working in this message all week, and I've been processing this. I said, well, God, okay, I've got to practice what I'm going to preach on Sunday morning. So what I did that day is I ended my day half an hour early, and I came into this room, and I sat down right up here in these steps with the lights kind of dimmed and all but out. And I just started to say, God, I know that you tell me that you will not leave me or forsake me. I know that you tell me that you're always with me. I know that you tell me that seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. I know that you tell me that you're going to provide for me and you'll take care of my daily provision. And so, God, here I am. <laughs> I'm hurting. I'm crying. What is going on? That's what it means to walk by faith. Now, <laughs> I succeeded that day. But it's a, probably because I'm working in this message. But how often do we do this in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of an argument with your spouse or with a good friend? Do you just stop and with that person, if they're a Christian, say, you know what? We're clearly killing each other here. I don't know what's going on, but can we just pray about it and ask God? God's here with us. Let's not ignore him and let's just ask him to direct. Or maybe you can't do it publicly. Maybe you just do it privately as you're sitting there and you say, okay, God, you tell me a lot of things that are true about me. Just in my heart of hearts now, help me see them. Help me understand that I don't need to look to this other person to justify me. Help me to just see your provision and you are here with me working in my life. I see his provisions. This quote. 
If we are not captured by the truth of living in a deep and personal relationship with God, we will shrink our expectations and dreams down to the size of our own selfish wants and desires and strategies. Let that sink in. Let me read it again. Listen to what this, this, this is uh, Paul Tripp saying this. I pulled this from his book, Relationships, a Mess Worth Making. It says, if we are not captured by the truth of living in a deep and personal relationship with God, if we're not captured this relational God who calls me his son and I can call him dad through the person of Jesus Christ, we will shrink our expectations and dreams down to the size of our own selfish wants and desires and strategies because I cannot see the bigger picture. I can't see the unseen realities of life that are true of me. It may be hidden in the midst of my hardship, because, but I'm so consumed with looking around at life to define who I am that I miss the bigger picture. And I'm going to shrink it down and miss his greatness and his plan for my life. That's what it means to walk by faith. I want to make it real, real practical. You could say to me, okay, Adam, I still can see all this. I get it. It's intellectual. But how does this get me back to desiring God? I'm going to give you the most practical answer. Do you know what we need to do when we don't desire God? Repent of it. I want you to really think about this. If you're serious about your walk with Jesus, when is the last time in your prayer life you repented of not loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? When's the last time? Most of us will repent for... uh, I can't believe I talked to my kids like that again. God, please forgive me. Oh, I can't believe I looked at that again. Oh, God, please forgive me. Oh, I, when's the last time we just stopped and said, God, you know what? I'm not sure I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. When's the last time you got out of bed and you set a plan to do your quiet time? Because you want to spend time with God. You want to pray. We're told to pray, right? When's the last time that you went to pray and you didn't feel like it? And you, instead of stopping and saying, God, you know what? I just really don't feel like it this morning. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to confess that to you. I'm sorry. I'm weak. I'm human. I get it. I know I'm still a child of God. I'm going to still step out in obedience and do this. But I'm going to start by saying, I don't. When's the last time we did that? Or how about when it's time to write our checks? Giving, giving's hard for me. Giving is really hard for me. Okay, you know, we're taught, give 10%. 10% hard to give at times when you have small children and lots of them. And I go to write that check and I don't want to do it. Right? Have you ever been there? What do most of us do? Most of us just say, okay. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to, this is my duty. This is my Christian obligation. I am going to obey without ever stopping and saying, God, I don't want to obey. I'm sorry. So what ends up happening, we don't want to, but then we say, well, uh, well, it's, it's, I may not want to, but I still know I need to. So we just step out and do it. When's the last time my encouragement to you, and here's, here's what um, an author by the name of John Piper is the one that brought this to light for me years ago. And what I've learned is when there come times for things that I don't want to do, that it's a burden to me, that's hard for me, that I don't have a desire, what I've learned to do is stop and say, okay, God, instead of just stepping out in legalistic duty, I'm going to confess to you that I, there's something missing here. There's an idol of my heart that I obviously can't see. I'm having a hard time loving you. I don't desire you. I want to desire you. I want to have my affections for you, but there's something missing. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Bring it to my heart. Then I tell God, I will step out in obedience 
knowing that my heart's not in it, but I'm going to step out in obedience, trusting that you will bring the joy and desire back to my heart. Do the supernatural work that only you can do. Or reveal to me what it is that I love more than you. Just repenting of it, I think, is probably where we get ourselves in the most trouble when it comes to practically living by faith. I want to end uh, this morning's message with a clip from Oprah. Now, I can hear some of the giggles already. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is the second time, I think, in four weeks that I've referenced Oprah. So some of you, I'm no doubt, are going to begin to think, what does this guy do all day, sit around and watch Oprah? I know, I'm secretly mourning because she's no longer on the air. I apologize. This is, I'm trying to get over it. But the reality is Oprah, Oprah does something very interesting. Well, first of all, Oprah's, Oprah kind of means a lot to me, even though she's off the mark often. But I grew up in a home. My grandfather uh, lived with me until I was 19 years old when he passed away. And he lived in our basement. So as a kid on up, it was like having a second dad in the house. It wasn't always good, but it was reality. But one of the things I did is my grandfather was a, and this will help explain me a little bit, probably. My grandfather was a very structured, detailed individual. And he lived his day on a clock. And at 11 o'clock, he came into his little room and he had a little five cubic refrigerator kind of stacked on top. That was a toaster oven. And up above that was this little TV. At 11 o'clock, every single day, he watched Bob Barker and The Price is Right. Every single day. And then as Bob Barker and The Price is Right was beginning to wind down, he would get out every single day a napkin and lay it on, the, on his, like he had this little TV tray that he brought around in front of his lazy boy. And on that napkin, he would get out a bottle of Michelob beer and pop the top. He would then get out his saltine crackers and spring onions. Now, is it no wonder he never got remarried? I cannot imagine eating this. And he'd have his little salt shaker there. He'd shake a little salt on his spring onions. He'd bite into that thing, take a cracker and a swig of beer. And that was, every, that was his lunch. And then he'd move from that into the uh, eight, Channel 8. He'd watch the, just a half hour of the afternoon news. And then he'd go and do his errands in the afternoon. A lot of times he would make wooden jigsaw puzzles, which was kind of a cool thing. He trained me to do that. So it's one of the kind of things, the skills that he passed on to me, his ability to work with a scroll saw and a jigsaw and make hand-cut wooden jigsaw puzzles. That would finish up. He'd get all his chores done. He'd come back in just in time. He'd never miss it was Oprah. He watched Oprah every day. I don't know what it was about Oprah. He liked Oprah Winfrey. One of the things I've learned about Oprah, though, is Oprah scratches where people itch. It's one of the lessons I've taken from her. She talks about things that people are inquisitive about. It's a lesson I've taken as a pastor. Sometimes we as a church don't do a really good job of scratching where people itch to help give them answers. But Oprah does that. One thing else Oprah does, Oprah does a show called The Big Give. Those of you who have watched her know that once a year she has this show where she gives away all her favorite things. Or sorry, I think the show is called Her Favorite Things. She gives away cars. She gives away iPads. She gives away her favorite makeup and hand lotion and handbags and books and videos and all this other stuff that are her favorite things. I want to show a clip from her, uh, this final show this past year. She, she actually did two in her final season, and she did them back-to-back. So she brings the first studio audience in, and she gives them all kinds of cool stuff. And then she intentionally wanted them to now leave the studio and walk right past the next group coming in to, be, to tape, okay? So they're standing outside. All these people are pouring out, and they have these bags full, bagfuls of stuff. Now, the people standing outside, what are they thinking? I missed it by one taping. I missed it. That's what she wanted. 
So then these people come in, and now this second studio audience that came in, she, she actually personally invited. They're all like firemen, policemen, social workers, people who work in the foster care system, people who have done missions type, people who have served and given out. And then what she wanted to do is she surprised them with here's the big give. Here's my favorite things. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to watch this video. We might have a little trouble with this video. This video, we couldn't find it on YouTube. I had a hard time finding a place we could download it. So it's streaming straight off of her website. So hopefully our internet stays strong for us. But watch this video and look at the people's reaction to this opportunity to receive. I would say this, though. I would say that the truth is that when you meditate, it allows you to think about a lot of things and to clear channel forgiving, giving to others. So how about we meditate on this? It's funny, right? I know. It's, it's, it's hilarious. But the question is this. As I watch that, I, th- I see gratitude written all over it. These people are stoked. Why are they so stoked? What is it that they're, so, they're getting something? They don't even know what they're getting yet. They have no clue what she's giving them. All they know is I'm getting something and I'm as stoked. I mean, they're weeping. They're crying. They're hugging. They're kissing. They're jumping for joy. You know what I wonder? It's hilarious. When's the last time I did that because I'm a child of God? Let that sink in. We live in a German culture here in this county. I get that. This church, I get, is German cultured in nature. And Germans, I've learned, show very little emotion. I see that at Bethany very clearly. That is a foreign sight to this church. (laughs) That's probably why we laugh so funny, because that is really strange. So I'm not asking us to dance around and jump up and down and go wild and, and pull your hair out and kiss each other. I mean, I'm, that's, that would really be cool, but that's not. But when's the last time internally I got that excited because I know for certain that I'm walking by faith because I'm walking by faith means I enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, with God, through the person of Jesus. I enter into this relationship. It's a, like a marriage relationship. It's like a father-son relationship. It is a deep, intimate thing through Jesus. And he looks down at me and says, you are justified. Live like that every single day. You're my son. You're a child of mine. You can call me daddy. My resources are at your disposal. I'm with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what it means to live by faith, to get out of bed tomorrow morning and say, you know what? 
I don't know what this day faces. This day could be hard, but I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm not going to do it because of how I perform. I'm going to do it because Jesus loves me and he has entered my life and I'm going to live from that perspective. That's the challenge. And then, and then <laughs> jump around. <laughs> Get excited. And that's what I did. Ultimately, at that day when my van, no, praise, praise Jesus. <laughs> I jumped around a little bit like that when I found out that my, it's not the, it was just, it was a, a bill to pay, but it, wasn't the head gasket. But when I walked out of this room, I had to get a ride home. I walked out of here lighter. Did it hurt still? Yeah, I'm still kind of bummed. But I walked out saying, God, you are with me. You've not left me. You've not forsaken me. I got my head around this. I'm sorry. I repent of going to those dark places. God, please enter my life and help me walk by faith and live from the place that I am a child of God justified through the person of Jesus Christ, period. And I'm going to continue to live every moment of every day from that point, not by this duty-driven, works-oriented, getting backwards to you. Live by faith. Live with gratitude. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, I think of that video that we watch and... (laughs) um, Yeah, we all have our opinions of Oprah, but the reality is, God, those people were stoked. They're excited. Help us to be excited. Help us to live from a place of what we have in you, the supernatural work that you have done in us. God, I start by praying for those in here who have not had that supernatural work done in them. God, I pray for that person here who's uncertain if they were to die today, where they're going to spend eternity, who's uncertain if they're walking with you, who's uncertain if they have a relationship with you. God, would you reach out to them, maybe through the people sitting around them or maybe through their questions or maybe just right now speak to their heart and help them to hear the message loud and clear that they will not get to you through their works, through their good deeds. It's only going to come because you entering their life through the person of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. God, would they just step out in faith towards you saying, I believe in Jesus. I know that I'm separated from him and I need him. And then, God, for those of us who who have entered that relationship, would you give us the strength and the courage to live from that place every single day? So often we get this thing backwards. We come to faith in Jesus, but instead of walking by faith, we walk by works. Sure, works should be coming from our lives, God, and I, I pray that they are. But I pray that they're flowing from my life because I'm radically in love with you and because you have done a dynamic work in my life and because of the gratitude and the just stoked nature of what it means to be in a relationship with you that every single day then I overflow to works. Help us to live from that place. God, it's hard. It is hard. I acknowledge that. So God, would you speak and would you comfort and would you come alongside and would people get, just as we sing this final song, that they would understand who they are in Jesus and what it means to have your provision and your presence with them. In your son's name we pray, amen.